It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to yet another episode of the Movies You Should Love podcast. I'm Lauren, and with me, as always, is Scott, who now has a new microphone and is very thrilled to <laughs> Anyhow. And I am Scott Fogg. Do not forget my name. <laughs> Do not forget me. <laughs> um... Anyhow, uh, we're doing a, a special kind of, I, I don't want to call it a listener request, but it was, uh, today's episode is kind of a response to some listener feedback that we got. Um, so, uh, just as a reminder, you also can join in the conversation and you may get a whole podcast uh, dedicated to the questions you ask, just like we're doing today. Yeah. Um, you can get in touch with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash movies you should, on our Twitter at movies you should, or on our website, movies you should love.com. And we, we, we actually do listen to what you're saying. And like I said, we, we may actually make an entire podcast like we're doing right now. Um, so, Scott, you're you're the one who kind of handled the yeah. What, was it Facebook? This it was question? it was it was it was via Facebook. Uh, old friend of mine, I went. Uh, we kind of we had a year or two overlap back in college. Um, haven't really talked to the guy in a long time. He was a good friend. Uh, we worked together at the service department. We went and cleaned bathrooms and hauled stuff around campus. Ah, together. college, best years of our yeah. lives. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he wrote in and was just like, hey, you know big fan of the podcast and i was like oh i did not know jeff was listening to the podcast that is awesome um so yeah a friend of mine old like i said i probably haven't talked to him in probably it's probably been 10 years but uh he wrote in his name is jeff mccray and um basically here at movies we should lo- you love we, we like to look at all these different kinds of movies but we have been kind of focusing on the afi top 100 as kind of the the thread that connects all these episodes um and Uh, He said, his exact question, I'm going to read it right here, is, my question is, what movies from outside the U.S. should we love? And I thought that was a really interesting conversation, because I know we like all kinds of movies, and we we talk about lots of different kinds of movies on the podcast. Um, When, you know, when we're up in the AFI Top 100, when we've watched something. Um, But I thought it was really interesting. I thought we could sit down here and just kind of discuss international films and some of these movies that come from beyond our borders. Um, I put together a list of movies uh, that I really like that are from uh, other parts of the world. But, you know, I don't know about you, Lauren, but I had a hard time actually differentiating between American and non-American movies. Yeah, when when, when you sent me this question... when, when. you know, my first thought was kind of, man, this is going to be really tricky because what exactly makes a foreign film today? Right. Um, because it, it's such a muddled world now that we kind of exist in. Because, um, you know, I guess kind of the basic definition would be a film that is made, um, you know, not in your country would be, right. the you know, that is made through a production company other than from your country. So, you know, if it's not an American production company that makes the, the movie, then... That makes it a foreign film. It makes it a foreign film. Right. But that's, I mean, I, we, we could kind that's of... That's super it's a, broad. <laughs> that's super broad at this point, because that really opens us up to the entire world. And it's also a little tricky, because when you really look at productions of these films, mm-hmm. um, even if the main production company that is handling the production of a movie is in another country... You don't uh, the the money sources for all of that right. could be coming from is yeah is who, who knows where you know often often from the studio systems or like even if it gets made in this other country it then gets bought into one of the major American mm-hmm. movie companies and they distribute or they you know buy right. the rights to is, it or, you know, is James Bond a non U S film is Harry Potter you know right. you you go well those are almost entirely British created but. Right. At the same time, those are also very, very Hollywood. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I mean, I, I think kind of the quintessential thing for me is, like, I look at, like, the Hobbit movies, you know, the, right. the Lord of the Rings, because those movies are, you know, they're funded in basically entirely by New Line Cinema. Right. Um, and then, but they were produced entirely in New Zealand. Right. And... Feature um, almost an entirely British cast, yeah. although... <laughs> and, there's, and there's several companies, you know, Weta, Digital, and, you know, right. Jackson, what is it, Wingnut? Is, is that Wingnut. Peter Jackson? Um you know, all of those kind of production companies are really the ones who made the film, mm-hmm. but all of this money came from 
you know, the American investors and things. So, so where is that line of international versus Hollywood versus American versus it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing. Like, uh, then you also have the thing where, you know, in the Academy Awards, you have like the, the foreign language film category. Um, and so you can have a year where there's like a foreign language film that wins an award, but then you can also have what would technically qualify as a foreign film that also wins like best picture, like the year that Slumdog Millionaire won. Right. Because Slumdog Millionaire entirely produced out of um, British production companies. Right. So it is a British film. It is not an American film. And yet it had a huge release here in America. One best picture. And one best picture. Was, was, yeah. Not, not considered foreign. <laughs> right. So where is that? What is, where, yeah. What line do you, you draw there? Yeah. So, oh, and and to be honest, like when the list I started compiling, because the way he phrased the question, like he said, like non-U.S. films, I believe, uh, out movies from outside the U.S. should we love? Very honestly, most of the movies that I love that are from outside the U.S. are from Ireland, England, and Scotland. I have a huge affinity for the British and the Irish films. Um, because okay, before we go any further into this conversation as well, I have to, I have to admit something to you, Lauren. I need to admit it in front of you and God and the the podcast Confession listeners. Confession is good for the soul, Scott. Yes, and it's it's in this foreign film conversation. I, I I feel awful saying this because I'm a little bit of an elitist when it comes to films and entertainment. I like some crap, but I'm also kind of you know snobby about my my movies. Um, I have a hard time sitting down watching movies that are in a foreign language. It's just like there's a lot of great stuff out there, and so it's something that I really have to overcome. But me and my my dumb kind of uh, 21st century American mind, I I multitask, or I think I can multitask, and so it's really hard for me to sit down and watch a movie in which I also put down my cell phone, I also put down the laptop, <laughs> you know, because I'm watching a movie. I'll have my my phone up, going, I feel like I know this guy, and I'm on IMDb on my iPhone. Or I'm also playing the Simpsons game, or I'm also Facebooking, or whatever it is I'm doing. I'm just kind of like glancing at the screen, and which is the wrong way to watch a movie, <laughs> you know. Which is why I think I like going to cinemas because I the, you can I, kind of shut down for two. I hours. Com- and I completely do. When I walk into the theater, I, I turn the ringer off, I put the phone in the cup holder, and I'm done for two hours. And that's the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. But that being said, when I'm here at home, I don't always feel like I can just completely shut myself off for two hours. And so if it's a movie that I actually have to completely focus on, I have a hard time with that. That you know, and so if I have an option for like my anime to be dubbed in English, I always take the anime dubbed in English. Um, if you know, but I don't want them to dub live action into English because that just looks silly. But I do have a hard time with that sometimes. And I, I just and I, I I'm saying this because I, I I hope I'm not the only person out there who feels this way. And I want to get this out to the listeners because it's something that I am trying to overcome. And I think everybody should because as I look at some uh, some of my list and I look at some of your list of some of the movies that we may or may not discuss tonight. Um That's right. We have secret movies we may not discuss. <laughs> but there's no, there's some there's some really good movies on here that 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 barrier that f- actual foreign language barrier needs to be hurdled so you can enjoy some of these great movies because there are great movies from all over the world that you just need to see if you like movies yeah no i agree and i think this brings up a really interesting point which is in my mind uh, well kind of two points it, this is where kind of the the line gets drawn for me in our discussion of of what qualifies as international film anymore. Uh, the, the first point that I would make is that I think the lines have blurred so much in the film world that it kind of doesn't matter where the film got made a lot of times anymore. You know, everybody has been watching everybody else's films now for a hundred years plus, give or take a little bit. And, you know, it, it's kind of a universal language at this point like yeah. every, everybody who's making movies now is kind of using the same language you know bollywood films use techniques that hollywood has been using hollywood has started putting in bollywood musical numbers oh, yeah. in movies um you know the japanese stylized cinema has come in and you know uh, i mean hollywood has has been you know uh, the, i mean how many versions of Seven Samurai have there now been that have been made in Hollywood. Oh, exactly. You know? And then you look at something like The Matrix, which was like a live action anime 
yeah. movie, basically. And it's cool to, and it's it's really really muddled now to the point of like I think they're actually filmmakers making movies today that don't realize where their inspiration is yeah. coming from because they they've seen it, the American version of it, mm-hmm. and so they're doing that thing. Even though a, a great example of this, I think, is George Lucas. He very uh, knowingly kind of copied or was inspired by, I'll say, uh, Akira Kurosawa with his movies like um, uh, Hidden, Fla- Fortress. Hidden Fortress. You know, yeah. that was the one I was looking for. Where you watch that movie and you go, oh, wow, there's a lot of Star Wars, especially A New Hope, in this movie. It's mm-hmm. fascinating to see that. And he and he's very open about that. He's like, no, that's what I was doing. I liked that. And I brought it over here and kind of put it into my style of storytelling. You know, I think Quentin Tarantino does kind of that same thing. Oh, often. big time. Um and uh, um, Darren Aronofsky, especially like Black yeah. Swan or something like yeah. that. You know, I mean, specifically, he licensed specific shots from uh, well, he, uh, the, he, what was the Japanese film? Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue. And but he did that even before Black right. Swan. He bought he bought the rights to the live action version of Perfect Blue so that he could use shots in Requiem for a Dream. Exactly. But then, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of comparisons between Perfect Blue and Black Swan. Um, actually, I recorded a little mini episode all about that. Um, Many moons ago. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I think all of this stuff is really, really mixing together. I think it's, yeah. I think film has become kind of a melting pot of stuff. It really is. And so, um, there's a lot of really good stuff coming from the international world that I think is actually getting piped into our local theaters and people are actually watching on Netflix mm-hmm. and maybe not even realizing completely that they're watching non-American films, non-Hollywood productions. The only difference maybe would be in accents or in language. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of the first half of what I want to say. And the second half is I think that the line really does get drawn for people uh, when when language comes into it, when specifically languages that we don't understand. Right. Um, you know, my... I experience a movie through subtitles differently than I'm going to yeah. when I can listen to it in English. I, you know, I think that's what you were... Yeah kind of touching on and and so i think that's a really big kind of splitting point um you know and i don't know that we've really seen like a foreign language film win best picture at the academy awards yet i I, there might have been but i can't think of any right offhand i can't think of any either because i think once once you have a foreign language it does get kind of pushed over into best foreign language film i mean i guess (laughs) i guess you could say the artist technically Almost. What well, was a French film? Right. No, it was silent, <laughs> though. So I don't know. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's a very <laughs> international language of love. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a that's an interesting kind of uh, th- thing. There's a lot of the, there's a lot of splitting of hairs. I'm I'm curious as to how Avatar wasn't considered an animated film. You know, yeah. when it yeah, gets exactly. down to it, you go, where, where do you start drawing these lines? And maybe there's no real great place to do it. It's just, um, I don't know. Because what's interesting to me, like one of the things I really like about watching, especially movies, uh, I guess you'd call them Eastern films, is there's a, a very distinct style in storytelling. Or there's it's it's not that it's distinct; it's just very different from Western storytelling. A lot of times, one of my favorite films, uh, uh, this may be my favorite films, but it's probably my top twenty or thirty, definitely, is uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, which I think is a really interesting example of a it's an it's a great animated film maybe one of the best animated films ever um, but on top of that it demonstrates this really interesting thing that I I feel like I see more in Eastern filmmaking than I see in Western which is a lack of an antagonist it's like there's this it's really about this person struggling to overcome themselves or just discover something or really maybe just to make it through the day you know there's not a lot. A lot happens in my neighbor Totoro, but at the same time, not a lot happens. You know, it's it's a wonderful movie that's just about exploration and about family, and there's a real there's a real heart of drama behind the whole thing. It's, I mean, it's very. I mean, if you like the Pixar films, is what I always tell people, you'll love most of Studio Ghibli, but specifically, um, my neighbor Totoro mm-hmm. is just this, and it's just wonderful. And at the same, but at the same time, it's not. I can't imagine that movie ever coming out of America. I feel like somebody would be like, oh no, if they're going to do that here in America, I feel like we would put this maybe a bad mythical creature for them to fight or 
some kind of antagonist, but there really isn't one. It's really, it's just a different kind of story. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think that's a very interesting thing. And, um, you know, I think you can see that in a lot of Eastern film, even going back to Kurosawa, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was very influential on, on American cinema. Um, and some, just kind of some of the, the storytelling tropes were different coming out of some of that, you know, the, the way things were structured or kind of the, the, uh, the greater experience of it. Um, right. You know, uh, again, going back to, uh, is it hidden fortress? Yeah. Um, um, you know, that's the, the three stories of, of the, is, am I thinking of the right one? Oh no. You're thinking of, um, not Ronin. Uh, Isn't it start with an R? You're talking about like is, the, the, is, the, is the, the Ran, Tron. Ran, Rashomon? Rashomon. Rashomon. That's the one. Yes. Um, you know, where it's it's the, like three stories all about the, yeah. you know, different ways that this this crime potentially happened. And so, I mean, like, it was very interesting structurally yeah. and, and stuff and, and very much influenced filmmakers. I mean, you know. Which if, is fascinating, too, because, you know, there's, there's Kurosawa doing his own thing and mm-hmm. doing something that other people have gone back to, yet he was incredibly inspired by John Ford mm-hmm. and, you know, brought that kind of uh, visual aspect that was exactly. be- that was very big in America at that time, or something that was happening in America. He's like, "Oh, I like that. I'm going to shoot my movies like that." Mm-hmm. And so then he makes you know Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, and then like those <laughs> get turned around. Seven Samurai turns into the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Seven and A Bug's Life. Yeah, and, <laughs> and uh, wasn't there a, a, a Bruce Willis movie too, like The Last Man Standing or yes, something like Last that? Last Man Standing, which yeah. was. Not Seven Samurai, but yeah. That's Yojimbo, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, But, you know, and Yojimbo turned into another foreign film. It turned into uh, Fistful of Dollars. Right. Um, which is a Spanish film, even though it's a Clint Eastwood breakout kind of movie. That, yeah. Yeah, so there's a whole... Which, yeah, and then, yeah, and that's... That, that, that whole set that, of Sergio Leone Western that, that is whole, actually... That spaghetti Western, yeah. you know, which... To me, the, the term spaghetti, I, I just really kind of it's figured... Italian, I mean, not... Yeah, I just I just broke it down. I think it was, I think a month or two ago, I really realized that spaghetti western, probably at the time, was kind of actually a pejorative. Yeah, because <laughs> they were going, out of Italy. Oh, these Italians, you know, which is yeah. really hilarious to me. You had these Italian filmmakers making movies about the American West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, they made some of the most iconic western films, or movies, you know, set in the American West. It's just weird and fascinating to me. Yeah, so I mean, uh, if you're looking for for good, uh, would those be considered non-US films? films? Yeah, you know, I'd say I'd say <laughs> the 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 Dollar Trilogy. You know, that's a classic set of Italian films right there. Right. Released through American stuff, but those are Italian in, movies in American, in English, and in and like if you actually look on IMDb, you'll actually see their titles in Italian, not yeah. not American, yeah. you know, not English, because they're not American films. So, That's true. Yeah, so it's it's a very weird, convoluted, like layered kind of world where everything builds. Um, yeah, and, the, and that's and yeah, it's it, it, it's it's really it's yeah. Well, like another one for me. Here, okay. here's, here's a yeah. very recent example. Okay, okay. So Peter Jackson is contracted with um, Microsoft to make the halo movie oh, right where this is going this is going okay. to one of my favorite films yeah right so he's going to make the halo movie there is nothing more american than staying in front of your xbox <laughs> shooting right. aliens while playing halo i mean like this is like the american male 20 something experience basically. guilty um <laughs> all right this movie gets outsourced to <laughs> new zealand right then doesn't happen but the guy who's brought in to be the director of this movie ends up not making it, but impresses Peter Jackson so much that he gives him money, right. sends him to South Africa, which is his home, right. where he ends up making where he ends up making District 9, yeah. which is a huge blowout success here in America. Yeah. And so it's kind of this weird circumnavigating the globe. It goes from America to New Zealand to South Africa, yeah. back here here in release plus you know around the globe in, yeah. in in releases i mean it's it's again i would say district nine is a very recent great sci-fi film yeah that is also not an american film right <laughs> it yeah it's okay <laughs> 
uh, District Nine is one of my favorite, especially recent sci-fi films. It's it's a really great sci-fi film, um, and I feel like to really answer Jeff's question, I do need to look at my list here and just kind of mention some of my favorite. I'm not going to yeah. go through all of this, and you know, we'll we'll get, we'll distract ourselves with other things as we go along. But some of my favorite films that have come out that were not from the U.S. Um, I cannot start this conversation without. Well, oh man, I don't know where to start this. I know where I want to start this. <laughs> That's really my problem. Is like I look at my list. I'm like, I could start talking about all of these movies and spend like a whole podcast on each. On any one of these, yeah. Okay, a movie that you and I kind of bonded over um, when we were in college was Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yeah, Le Pack de Loup. Yeah, and this is a great French film that um, I think you and Larry actually yeah, Larry, yeah. bonded over at first, and then you're like, you haven't seen this, you need to see this. This will blow your mind. Yeah, I think I think Larry had some kind of like bootleg import. Yeah, he, he had been in France and had like seen it there, and it was really big in French theaters. Yeah, like, like you must see this, Lauren. And yeah, so no. he showed it to me. <laughs> and it, was, it was it was really good. So I it's think I showed you the movie, Lauren. And then like like two years later, it finally came to America. Yeah. And, is, no, I actually credit Larry with a lot of uh, French films because he he had a lot to recommend to me, and um, I watched a lot of movies. movies from yeah, the, the original taxi movies. Um, but Brotherhood of the Wolf is, if you guys haven't seen this, is it's kind of set. I believe it's in the 1700s, around the time of the French Revolution, right? Yeah, yeah. And there is this creature living in the woods. And a group of men are basically, basically a werewolf is kind of what everyone yeah. assumes. That's what everybody. Yeah, and, and people have seen it, and maybe they haven't seen it. Something is attacking people, and they want it taken out. You know, they want this thing killed. And so, like a group of like three or four men basically are assembled to go into the woods, and um, mystery and amazing action sequences ensue. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of French nudity. This is a very hard R kind of movie oh, ab- for ab- everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, as I look over my list, a lot of these are going to be very hard R's because yeah. it's different outside of America. They approach things completely differently. <laughs> you know, one of the most more interesting things, and I think this was brought up maybe in one of our uh, previous podcasts when we talked about the rating system, is America weighs against different things very differently than the international world will. And so you're going to see violence a- approached in a very different way, and something like sexuality and nudity is going to be approached also very differently. And so Brotherhood of the Wolf features, yes, a lot of nudity. Um, there's, you know, I think one of the big places they meet at over and over like again a brothel, is a brothel. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really, I mean, if, if you guys like a good action film, there's some really incredible sequences in this that border the Matrix yeah. without being really heavy on the CG. It's like, it's really impressive stuff. Yeah, like, I think actually the uh, the Henson Creature Shop actually did some work on this. I believe so. I believe um, you're right. And it's it also kind of fits in this wonderful little nook that I love, which is like this forgotten bits of history. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ties into, I'm not, I don't know about the real history surrounding it, but it does tie into something that I guess supposedly happened or something that you can still see at the museum today or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating kind of thing cuz it's it's like partially a supernatural almost almost in like that horror realm without getting like too creepy. Yeah. It's it's like also kind of a history thing without like it play you can tell it's playing a little fast and loose with history but at yeah. the same time it's it's a fascinating kind of take on it. And then it's also got this weird um metaphorical level to it. Yeah. That that actually ends up you almost kind of have to watch it a couple of times to really start understanding where all of the metaphors are coming from and what it all kind of actually means, means at the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Monica yeah, Bellucci's in it, and she's and she pops up in another one of my favorite films from outside of the, outside of America, and, and the rest of the cast is relatively unknown to me. Um, but I think pretty big in France. I yes, think, like, I think a couple of them are really big in France. It's definitely a movie. Um, that I would recommend, and yeah. it's one of those things that is kind of I, I go back to it, you know, visually, especially in my head. Yeah, go for ahead. me, uh, probably right around the same time, um, you know, get a year or two around this. Um, another French film that had really impacted me um, was Amelie. Oh um, man! I mean, this this movie kind of, I mean, it it really did take America by storm at the time that it, yeah. it came out. Um, but it was a huge impact on me. Um, it's it's visually still one of the most stunning. Mm-hmm. Cinemata- uh, you know, some of the most stunning cinematography that I've, I've ever seen in a movie, and it still holds up brilliantly today. 
Um, it's just it's a charming kind of movie, kind of like it, a fairy tale, f- like like a modern day fairy tale, yeah. almost. And like, I mean, I feel I feel like a lot of um, I'm sorry, I'll let you talk. No, no, um, yeah. I, I was gonna say I feel like if you guys ever saw the TV show Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisy? Yeah, I feel like a lot of I feel like uh, Brian Fuller, who was behind that show, took a lot from Amelie. Yeah, I could I could see that. And I mean, it's it's yeah, it's, it, it's, it's very different. I'm just saying, like if if you guys have seen Pushing Daisies and loved it as much as I did, um, you should go back to see, watch Amelie. Yeah, and yet again, it's it's has that a very different kind of sensibility to it. It's it's a love story mm-hmm. that is really you know quirky and bizarre. Um, it's it's a story about relationships between people, but again, they don't happen. It's not scripted in the way that you expect, like an American movie yeah. to happen. Um, yeah, if it, yeah, it's 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 one of my favorites. Um, I, I I watch I, it. I, I, I love the opening montage. Yeah. It's like it's like it's this narration with all of these things kind of taking place, and it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Amelie's great. So um, here's another concrete example of something you should go watch. Another concrete example. Um, I mentioned Monica Bellucci earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw Amelie, and it was, it was actually probably a couple of years later, um, but I feel like Milena hit me on a level that Amelie hit you. Yeah, Milena, was, it was very good. Oh, man. Like there's, like, there's nothing I don't love about this movie, and I just recently tracked down a... Um, international blu-ray copy of it because they haven't really released a good proper american version of it so i had to find this korean uh import of the of it on blu-ray which it works great and it looks gorgeous um but uh milena is this movie monica bellucci started it takes place like in like in the 1930s in italy and this is a very hard r movie as well but it's also a very charming movie about this young boy who's probably 12 or 13 who's um kind of getting into that point in life where you're starting to recognize the opposite sex and he falls in love with this uh the gorgeous stunning uh monica bellucci who lives in his village and he kind of fantasizes about her and just idolizes her and then as he kind of he doesn't stalk her because he's too young and innocent to be a true and proper stalker um but he follows her and um begins to learn more about her and it becomes a and she herself is a very complex character who is doing her best to survive in a nazi run italy or you know it's like and so it, it becomes this story of like discovering yourself for the boy but for her and everything that happens to her is like this struggle for survival that ends up evolving into like this wonderful tale of forgiveness and mercy and man <laughs> you know it's, yeah. like, it's like it's really good like the like the the way the movie begins and the way the movie ends are so far apart but the journey that you you take to get there is just is just wonderful and for me i love seeing like i'm a, i'm a, like a, i'm a big fan of world war ii and that whole time period i've always been fascinated by it and so i'm i've always really enjoy seeing movies that come out from Europe about that same time period mm-hmm. because we see so many and from a, the American standpoint it's always like Pearl Harbor D Day and thoughts of war yeah, because that like, was like a, we can yeah we kind of do the heroic ha right, here we because, go to fight and you know and there's nothing wrong with that because that was kind of our part in the war we only knew it as a war for the people in Italy it was a it was a lifestyle it yeah. was something that took place over the course of ten years they saw the whole regime change they saw the politics of it and it affected them on a day-to-day basis they didn't get to ignore it Mm -hmm. and so milena is one of those movies that gets into some of that and i mean it's it's very adult you know it's not a movie that would be like yeah sit your kids down and watch this or even if you're you know if you prefer your pg-13 movies maybe not milena but man i love it yeah uh on that same note for me the movie that i think kind of does that same thing um, is life is beautiful. Oh yeah, um, man, this movie will rip your heart out. <laughs> um, but it, like in, in the best way possible. It's it's like it's almost two movies. It's kind of like split into two sections. Yeah, it really is. And like the first half is like the funniest romantic comedy ever. Yeah, yeah, the first half is like the the spiritual successor to Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, you know, you're just like this is great. I yeah. love this. <laughs> and then the Nazis show up. And then the second half is the most heartbreaking, beautiful movie 
yeah. ever, basically. Yeah. And, and and it's it's a it's a really good hole. I mean, it, it, the first half sets you up to care so much about the people during the second half. Yeah, and it's it's just it it is beautiful. It is a beautiful film. I mean, kind of the basic premise is the Nazis show up and a father and his son mm-hmm. basically have to survive the concentration camp. And to do that, the father basically helps his son pretend that the whole thing is a game. Right. And that everything that's going on is, 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 and, is and funny. And one, you know, yeah. he just, he makes it out to be like, it's a big circus. You know, it's just, yeah. a, everything's a big game. And my goodness, it's a movie that honestly, I don't think when it first came out, I wasn't as enraptured by it as other people, but as I have aged, it's, it is a movie that ripens with age. <laughs> you go, Oh, so I, to me, that movie, I mean, not that Melina doesn't do that for me, but this is no. kind of that other, yeah, no. that other Italian film that really hits Absolutely. the same notes for me. It's, it's, it's amazing. And while we're talking about Nazis, uh, <laughs> one of my, I, I haven't seen very many German films, to be honest, um, but Downfall is one that I would recommend to anybody who's at all interested in the Holocaust, anybody who's interested in the, yeah. in any of that. It is a movie that is about basically. I think it's the last week of Hitler's life. Like it's it's his life in the bunker that he had under Berlin uh, during those final moments, while you know, basically while Berlin is being surrounded by the Allies, and it's him trying to fight. Is him trying to figure out if there's any possible way, and there's it's spellbinding and it's 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 a movie that sucks you in and it's 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 one of those kinds of movies that where you know it's a it's a narrative that was written by a screenwriter and adapted by a director and uh actors and all of that but at the same time it's one of those movies where you go this is exactly how it was it doesn't feel forced there isn't like this you know um it was actually like the director and writer of the film they had just fit they had just finished a documentary where they're interviewing uh, Hitler's secretary who was mm-hmm. down in the bunker at the time. And during that, they went, we have to tell this story. And so they took parts of the documentary and basically did more, a more research and then structured this new movie. Um, I, I think it, this one might've won an Academy Award as well for best foreign film or something, or the actor may have, I know, it, I know, I know it beforehand, but yeah. yeah, I know it won some international awards it is it's pretty amazing it's good <laughs> you know it's one of those like if especially if you like world war ii films this you need to watch this to complete your collection it's really really good mm-hmm. yeah uh speaking of war um i completely agree with scott on that um but speaking of war if you are really into your whole post-apocalyptic thing uh-huh. um you know a, another classic foreign film um is is mad max you know that's yeah. kind of like that it's it's not good. What is it? The, the road warrior kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yes. It's not good. I don't. I don't mean to like say that it's a great film, but it's a fun film, and it really kind of highlights some uh, kind of that that burgeoning film experience uh, that traveled around the world. Um, you know, it it it's from a very specific time in Australia with a specific mm-hmm. time with Mel Gibson as mm-hmm. the star kind of, this is the movie that launched him. And honestly, now's a great time to watch it because they're about to make it they're They've finished shooting a new one. Yeah. With Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron, you know, yeah. and honestly, the people I'd recommend that movie to are, you know, if you like Mel, a good Mel Gibson movie, this is a great place to start early in his career. If you, but the people I'd really recommend this to are you filmmakers out there who are trying to tell a cool story on zero budget. Zero budget. Because this is the movie like this. And uh, what's the Robert Rodriguez um, movie? El Mariachi. El Mariachi. Thank you. Yes. Like kind of these two movies are like bookends. Mm-hmm. They came out at separate times, you know, yeah. with some space between them, but those are like the two movies that I kind of point to and go like, guys, you've got nothing. You can this do is this. What you can do with nothing. If you have a big enough idea, people won't notice how small your movie is. Mm-hmm. Because like you know, especially Mad Max, I went into it going, "Oh, this is a post-apocalyptic movie," and so I had these visions in my head of like what a post-apocalyptic movie looks like, and it looks like Mad Max. Except when you really look at what's going on in Mad Max, there's nothing there that you probably don't have access to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all your friends' cars, and they stapled some things onto it, and then they shot it in their backyard. Basically. <laughs> it, it helps that they shot it in Australia, where they have huge expanses of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but... We have that here in America, too. Yeah. Go, and, go to New Mexico. And, yeah, exactly. It's... Um, yeah, it's you know it's it's one of those movies. It's like um, 
it's also there's a whole genre of movies now that basically wouldn't exist without this. I mean, yeah. your 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 Walking Dead TV show, yeah, exists entirely because Mad Max happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I mean that's just the basics of it. And, yeah. and there's a whole genre that's like that. Your Fallout video games would mm-hmm. not exist without the Road Warrior. Absolutely, um, especially the first two. I would really you know Road Warrior and uh, Mad Max. Yeah, check those out. On Thunderdome, I didn't say that. <laughs> um, speak. Okay, so there's two very large sections of other movies I would also recommend. Um, I think this is as good of a place to kind of segue into, which are the movies of Danny Boyle and the movies of Luke Besson. Yeah, two very different filmmakers. Um, I want to talk about Danny Boyle for a second because he is this. I think is he Scottish or? English something he's he's Welsh maybe let's let's split the difference and call it Welsh. <laughs> so where Danny Boyle's like, why am I so angry right now? I don't understand why I'm so angry suddenly? No, no. Uh, uh, I think this is a good one because I think he's one of both of our favorite directors. Danny Boyle is a fascinating director. That is his his movies and his career is just so fascinating to like just to map and to watch it. You probably are not going to like all of his movies. Because he has a very broad spectrum of movies. That's the thing. It's like you, you know, he starts. Like I just, I was so excited. Like the Criterion, I just got the Criterion uh, edition of Shallow Grave, which was like his first film, and it was like Ewan McGregor is in it, and Christopher Eccleston is in it. He starts there, and then he just goes all over the place. This is the guy who directed Train Spotting, and then, but then he did Millions, which is this really adorable movie about these two little boys who find themselves suddenly with millions of pounds of money, you know? Yeah. And then he did uh, 28 Days Later, mm-hmm. and he did uh, 127 Hours, and he did Slumdog Millionaire, <laughs> you know, it's like, and Sunshine. That's like his... It's, uh, in the uh, 2012 Olympic opening ceremony. Yeah, it's just this huge <laughs> eclectic uh, collection. But what's really interesting about him is that he's somebody whose craft you can really watch evolve. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll try something out in one of his movies, and then you see it kind of come to fruition in the next one. Yeah. And then the, the next beach. one... Oh, we can't forget the oh, beach. Oh, beach. beach. Yeah. That might have been the first one of his I actually I think, saw. I think that was probably the first thing I saw. I think I saw it at the Cheap Theater here in Chattanooga when we were in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, Slumdog Millionaire is where a lot of people feel like his entire career kind of went. Like when you watch Slumdog Millionaire, there's so many things he does with his camera. There's so many, uh, his storytelling style is so very specific. And you can see portions of all of his movies in Slumdog Millionaire. And I can't, and he's got a new movie coming out later this year that looks really, really interesting with uh, James McAvoy about the, the, he's like a thief or something, but he's also. Uh, Was it Trance? Yes. Yeah. It yeah. looks like it could be really, really good and also really, really disturbing. That's the thing about his movies. It's like, other than Millions, which is this cute kind of G-rated movie, a lot of his movies go from, like, darkly co- comedic to just disturbing. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, even, like, Slumdog Millionaire, which is really, at the end of the day, kind of an uplifting, positive sort of movie, it has a lot of really dark dark stuff in it yeah that's it i mean it's really it's does. life stuff it's not it's not like it's made up like really crazy stuff but it's no and same same goes for yeah. train spotting it's like yeah. which is a movie about a man trying to overcome his heroin addiction but it's it's fascinating to watch from a filmmaker's perspective but also it's also kind of the movie that launched ewan mcgregor as a as an actor mm-hmm. and it's got a huge fantastic cast if you watch train spotting you're gonna see robert carlisle and johnny lee miller who now have great and wonderful careers under themselves as well as Ian McGregor and Kelly McDonald who I have grown to absolutely adore in Boardwalk Empire and Voicing Brave and all these other things and it's I don't know Danny Boyle is really kind of fascinating um on the flip side you have Luc Besson who I mentioned whose career is also really interesting Mm -hmm. and who I wish director yeah French director who I wish would direct more movies because I like his I like a lot of the stuff he directs and a lot of the stuff he produces I really don't like Yes, that's what's weird. That's what's really weird. It's like some of the and some of the stuff he produces. Sometimes he'll have like a, a writing credit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I think I I don't know. I, I want you to direct more, Luke. If you're listening, um, or if you're a PA of Luke's, pass this on. Yeah. We want to see know, more I, of his stuff. Like this is the guy who gave us Leon or the Professional, depending on or Leon the Professional, um, and uh, like the Fifth Element. The fifth Element, yeah. Mm-hmm. And both of those movies, especially those two movies, are movies I really, really like, and they're really just 
you know, you have the fifth element, which is this big, wacky sci-fi fun, you know, <laughs> which uh, kind of introduced everybody to Mila Jovovich and Bruce Willis is great in it. And Gary Oldman is ridiculous and over the top. And like, mm-hmm. it's just a fun science fiction fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, the professional, which, which is this intimate story about an assassin and this girl. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And, and I, I feel like that, and there's a lot of movies that I really like that kind of came from the professional, I think, or who owe a lot to the professional. Um, it's almost its own genre now. It is. Like a, this whole hitman with a conscience or this whole hitman in general is its own uh, genre. And it, it started there with Luke and it's a, it's a really yeah. good movie. Yeah. You know, you might also know him from like the Fem Nikita Right. Um, which is, uh, you know, there's a, what is it, a WB show on right now that's just Nikita that's based on this concept that he yep. did. Um, he did these, uh, the taxi movies, which don't watch the Jimmy Fallon travesty, oh. but but the original French taxi movies are pretty hilarious. Um, you know, he, he produced The Transporter. Yeah. Like, so, like, The Transporter was his idea. And, like, it's not the most brilliant thing, but it's kind of fun. Yeah, and, and did he direct one of the BMW short films with Clive Owen? Ah, he very well could have. Maybe he didn't. I, I maybe you think of one of my other international favorite directors, Guy Ritchie. Yeah, Guy. Oh, Guy Ritchie. Yes. <laughs> I have to talk about Guy Ritchie because his two movies, uh, Lock, Sock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and Snatch, um, were two movies I went back to frequently when I was going through film school because I love because it was one of the, those are both movies and they're very similar in story but to me those were two movies that really championed the script <laughs> you know and editing really almost more than anything else um snatch especially i just it's got it's just packed with so many foul-mouthed gangsters that are hilarious you know that yeah. most of them are inept at their jobs and these and these are the two movies that introduced the world to jason statham i mean he'd been around doing things but this is these are the movies that kind of put his face out there and i wish he would kind of get back into doing more stuff like this because um as as fun as his action films are his delivery of dialogue is just top notch in these movies um and this is Guy Ritchie, who's now gone on to do the Sherlock Holmes movies. Um, this is where it kind of started, was with him making these movies about these bumbling gangsters in Lower London. Yeah, um, yeah. Just uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of wrap up my Go for European films here, and then we'll we can because I'd like to touch on some other areas of the globe here, but never, probably, uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've got a couple more European films that you probably want to hit on yeah. here too, but. Um, you know, uh, this is this is going a little bit more classic for me, uh, but Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I mean, that's <laughs> there's a foreign film for you, and it's it's brilliant. So uh, absolutely, enough said. I think there, and then um, for me, kind of the quintessential. Uh, the, the the director Christoph Kozlowski is kind of one of my favorite filmmakers kind of of all time he's done he's done several pieces that are just brilliant there's the decalogue um, the decalogue which is you know 10 kind of short uh, short films they're hour-long tv specials basically um each, each one of which, about one of the ten commandments yeah or if not one of them kind of tackling the themes of of the yeah the ten commandments maybe more broadly and it's it's brilliant but his he has a work it's it's the three colors trilogy uh blue white and red and it's it's they're they're based on the colors in the french flag um you know, blue, white, and red. And, uh, say what? Sorry, you said red and French flag, and I immediately started going into Les Mis. Please continue. (laughs) Ignore me. Nice. But, um, to me, these are kind of like the quintessential, what everybody thinks of when they think of foreign films. They're kind of like these intellectual, very, um, you know, the stories aren't necessarily your traditional form of storytelling. There's all kinds of layers to them. Um, they you know they're in french so that <laughs> so that you actually do have to read the subtitles um but they're they're brilliant pieces of filmmaking there's yeah. so many layers there's so much symbology in them they're um you know each one tackles both film tropes in different ways and kind of deconstructs what film is at the same time telling very personal stories about people or at other times purposefully making them impersonal or, or whatever. It's, it's very, um, this is, uh, to me, this is, we've talked about a lot of movies. This is where if somebody really says independent or not independent film, but uh, foreign films, where should I start? And like, and I know they are really talking about kind of like foreign art films, right? 
this is like probably about as best as you're going to see. Yeah. And it's a great place to start with them because they're actually <laughs> fairly approachable, especially blue. I would say blue is probably my favorite foreign film in right. this genre. It's, right. it's, it's brilliant. It's kind of a movie where like the color blue is almost a character. Yeah. It's, it's used in several ways to kind of show, um, the way that these characters are, are interacting with each other. It uses music in, in ways that is just, you know, chillingly brilliant. And yeah. It's, it's great, great set of movies, especially blue. Blue is my favorite of the bunch. Can't argue with that at all. So, um, it's no secret to anybody who knows me that I have a very soft spot in my heart for Ireland. Um, so I need to mention a couple Irish films here. If people want a good, um, Irish movie, um, if you want a good one for the kids, Secret of Kells is a wonderful little Love animated movie. It's Ireland's first feature-length animated film. Um, it kind of has a, and it's got a great animation style that's very different than what we kind of have come to expect from our Disney's and our DreamWorks. Is it kind of reminds me of oh, what's his name? He he uh, he's responsible for like Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack and the Clone War cartoons. Uh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. It's similar to those, but it's this wonderful little. Um, it kind of maybe a little bit similar to Brave, if you guys have seen that. Um, neat little story about the Book of Kells and these monks who are trying to protect it, and this little spirit from the forest, and this little boy who it's it's great. It's, last I checked, it was on Netflix streaming. I own it on Blu-ray because I had to own it as soon as I saw it. I love the soundtrack. I listen to it quite frequently. Um, that's a great one for the kids. If you want, like, and, and for you as an adult, like, oh, don't, absolutely, don't be thrown off by that. It's it's a when I say the kids, I I assume you're watching it too. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite uh, of all time, is uh, Frank McCourt. The man knows how to tell a story. And if you haven't read Angela's Ashes, you should go read Angela's Ashes. Um, if you want to see the movie, it's also very good. Um, books better. This is one of the few times I'll absolutely say the book is better. But Angel's Ashes, the movie, is a wonderful little film that I really, really like. But if you want the if you want the Ireland experience, if you want to know what it's like to live in Dublin, um, you have to watch The Commitments. Um, it's based on a book by Roddy Doyle, who's this very beloved uh, Irish author. And it's about this band i think they try to do like soul funk jazz and it's i mean on one hand it's it's like it's uh it's every music band movie you've seen you know it's like all the the trials and tribulations of trying to form a band and keep the band together but at the same time there's so much irish life in there and it's not on purpose because it's just what it is <laughs> and when i when i watch that movie it takes me back to when i lived there and to the people that i knew and so much of it is filmed on grafton street or around different parts of dublin that i came to know and love and so i love the commitments again it's an r-rated movie but the, the irish can't help it it's just their language <laughs> <laughs> um i really really like that um yeah I'm, i think i can wrap up my list here with my maybe one of my favorite films of all time which is Billy Elliot. It just happens to be a British movie, but I'm just a sucker for the artist and his struggle to discover himself. The artist fighting oppression, fighting censorship, fighting whatever the struggles of the artist are. And in Billy Elliot, it's about a little boy who wants to be a ballet dancer. And it's, I think it's kind of set during the eighties, um, during some very particularly tough times if you're a middle class uh english englishman english family um and so you have this dad who just doesn't understand but this boy who just wants to be a dancer and it is so good <laughs> it's just a movie that i just it tugs on the the heartstrings every single time and it's just a good movie about a little boy who wants to be a dancer <laughs> yeah yeah no it's good so you um, want to move into other parts of the world? Well, yeah, I mean, just uh, we we touched on some things earlier. I mean, we talked about Akira Kurosawa. You really can't go wrong with his work. You know, we... Uh, it's true. You know, there's Italian cinema and there's, you know, uh, other parts. Uh, you know, uh, other Japanese stuff, I mean, we, or, or Asian cinema, I guess we should mm -hmm. say. Um, you know, we touched on uh, Studio Ghibli, mm -hmm. um, some of that kind of thing. 
you know, if you're looking for kind of like the big epic Asian kind of films, kind of the big classic-y thing other than Akira Kurosawa Mm -hmm. is um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That kind of was a revitalization of that. Wasn't that Ang Lee? That was, I believe that was Ang Lee. Yeah. Um, that was kind of a revitalization in like, what, 99, 2000, mm-hmm. 2001, somewhere around there, of kind of that whole genre of film um, for Asia at that point. Um, and sparked a whole bunch of, I mean, a whole lot of other things. Yeah. You know, Hero came out after that, and House of Flying Daggers, yep. and, you know, all there, there were all of these great things. But Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I think, is a great place to get into kind of like that epic Asian cinema kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it's history and... And, and all of that. And yeah, I mean, we're not even touching on all of the um, kind of the action films that. Oh gosh, there, yeah. there's, there's a lot to kind of go through, and I, I, I honestly all of the Jet Li movies, all of yeah. That. I was gonna say I, I might not even have the best ones to recommend to a person at this time. Yeah. I did just watch a really gripping action movie called The Raid Redemption, which actually I think is from Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it's yeah, it's rough. But it's a it's a if you're if you like an action film. It, it is gripping and it will take you from beginning to end and not let you go. Um, we might need to talk to somebody else. Uh, honestly, this is a great time for people to let us know what your favorite yeah. films are as well, especially in maybe in this genre that I'm not super. Yeah. Because I, I think, I think Scott and I will both admit we tend to be fairly Eurocentric with our, with our extended film viewing, our international film viewing, not because we don't like other things, but we, I think we both really connect to a lot of the storytelling that's coming out of there. Um, yeah, I think, I think that we both have a lot of Euro influence in our lives. And, um, and I won't speak for you, but I know for me, it's like for sometimes when I'm trying to get into a very big thing, like Bollywood, I've recently, I've been trying to get into more of because you hear these stories of like how Bollywood actually makes more movies than Hollywood does in any given year and how they actually make more money than Hollywood does. And you're like, how is this possible when I haven't seen any of their movies? It's still a very intimidating thing to get into because it's like, it's this whole it's genre. Oh, it's, not yeah. just, it's not just a genre. It's, it's like a culture. It's a culture. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, if I see an Indian movie, does that count as Bollywood or is there, you know, and so I think sometimes it's nice when it's it's nice or it's needed to have somebody who can go here. Let me show you a few movies that you can start off with, and if you like those movies, you can get into some of this other stuff, and you can start exploring on your own. But sometimes it's nice to have someone to go, yeah, no, you can avoid that guy for now or maybe forever. It's yeah, I I think this is an important thing to discuss because um, there are a lot of subcultures because we're talking world cinema here, and so you can get really narrowly focused into things with this if this is a direction that you want to head with your viewing i mean you can focus in on like you know only films made in taiwan between like 1970 and 1972 probably you know or whatever i mean that's probably crazy but you know i mean like you can get pretty narrowly focused in on like very specific genres very specific types of movies you know only you know mafia Right. you know movies made in japan in the last 20 years kind of thing like there's a whole subgenre of like that kind of movie or cop movies from that time or something um and that's okay because the flip side is once you've opened up to being interested in international cinema there is so much you will never be able to watch all of it yeah so the other important thing here is like just because Scott and I say we're Eurocentric a little bit with, with a lot of our watching, it's because we really respond to that and we really yeah. like digging into some of that a lot and really getting to some of the, like, the hidden gems and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say we don't like the other things, but it's an area we've really connected to and a place where, at least for me, where I put more of my energy and time digging and finding those things. So I can't speak quite as much to other areas. Absolutely. You know, some people respond to like, um, you know, uh, Latin cinema. There's a whole world of Latin cinema that I have never it's really true. broken into because it's just it's it's a whole separate world that I'm interested in, but I I haven't reached that point where I have the time to to get there yet. Yeah. Um. And so you know, I mean, like there are movies you know I've, that I I have really liked in that mm-hmm. genre. I mean, you know, like Open Your Eyes, which was kind of oh, the, yeah. the previous version of uh, Vanilla Sky. Uh, yeah, but only better, I yeah. say, in a lot of ways. You know, or, uh, I mean, tons of movies out of there uh, that are great. To Mama Tambien or you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I've, lots of things that I've I've enjoyed. Oh, and that's one of the things but, I like yeah. about uh, world cinema. Uh, I feel like most of the movies, like a lot of these movies that we're talking about here, 
um, I feel like more of them lead to conversation than other than to a lot of American films. And that might be really unfair to say, because there's probably just as many really horrible comedies coming out of France right now that we're never going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's something to be said about, you know, you finding that copy of uh, whatever it is, me finding that international bootleg of Malena. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to share that with somebody. And it's really cool to have somebody that, you know, I, and that I, I really remember that. I did it. I know I did it with Brotherhood of the Wolf, where once you showed it to me, I turned around and showed it to my uh, then girlfriend, now wife. I was like, we are watching this. You're going to it's going to blow your mind. And I really enjoyed sharing that movie with other people. And there's, it's neat, the little groups or culture that you can even kind of create of like, let's watch this movie that no one else is watching. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's it's a form of community. Yeah. Community. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, It's, you know, think in America, like our communities kind of revolve maybe more around like specific um, either characters or shows I feel like celebrity, like celebrity. You know, like um, you know, people who follow comic books have yes. like a very large community that they are a part of, and there's a whole lot of things that stem out of that. You're welcome um, to join us, Lauren. We welcome yeah, you. Um, you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, people who who are into uh, like Robin Hood things. There's you know places where you go and talk about Robin Hood. And I, you know, I'm there. I'm I'm in that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. there's and there's people who are into you know, Asian cinema, or there's people who are just into anime, or there's people who are, you know, and, and all of these things have communities and have, you know, places where you can really connect with other people on these things. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you can have these pretty intense, deep conversations about what is going on in these things. And it's it's connections with people that you would never have yeah. um, anywhere else. And that's that's kind of a cool thing. I absolutely and, agree. And uh, with, with international cinema, it's 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 a more elite club, I would say, not because it makes you more elite, but it's just because it takes it takes a little takes extra a little effort. extra effort than some things. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people in the Doctor Who club because Doctor Who. Well, well that's what's interesting. It's, it's, it's become mainstream today. Yeah, and that's why Doctor Who is a great example of what this can become. Is yeah. because ten years ago it was kind of elite to be Doctor Who because you know to be a fan because they didn't have it wasn't on. BBC. It wasn't on BBC America every weekend. Um, you kind of had to f- search out for those VHS tapes, and you had to find friends who had recorded copies. I wasn't part of it at that time, but I'm hearing these stories now where it's like, yeah, you guys weren't around, but now that it's everywhere, now that the BBC is releasing it, you know, now you can get basically every episode ever on DVD. It's not quite as special as it used to be. Still great, not complaining, but to me, that's kind of the thing that can come out of this. Is like is you kind of having that group that has to search for things you you know being part of that kind of a community that you find that movie you watch it you share it you discuss it because it's like and that's what's been that's what's always been fun to me is kind of going asking some of those questions like why wasn't this ever released here did they not think we would like it in america or you know why was it why did it only get such a limited release or would they ever even make a movie like this over here because as soon as you start watching some of these movies you're going to see a very distinct difference whether it's uh the language literally like you know do you understand the language but down to just like you watch um you watch a british film and you're going to hear like you can hear slang you've never heard before and be like what did he say? <laughs> and yeah. it's like it's really fascinating to get into all of those different little things. The cultural differences. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, there's there's so many, you know, so much learning you can do about our world yep. through through watching films. I mean, even if it's not, even if it's fiction, there's a lot of truth in fiction that you can learn from. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, good luck to you if you're listening <laughs> to this, and this is sparking you to want to go check out a lot of stuff. I mean, like you're. I think you're at an exciting point if that's where you're at because there is tons of good movies and you know the movies that we have suggested worked for Scott and I they may not be the ones for you Uh, I don't expect anybody to like everything that we have said no Um, no but at the same time the question was what are some non-US films that we should love Yeah. and so in response these are some movies that I love that if you haven't checked out I really think you should because these are some solid films exactly exactly and so, um, unless Lauren, you have anything else to add, I think this is a great time just to say, hey, what are your favorite non 
American films uh, that are, are there some that we've completely missed? Are there ones there that have to be? There have to be. I've, I, I, during this recording, I'm thinking of movies I'm ashamed to have not have mentioned. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I'd never mentioned that. But this is your time, guys. Um, what are some favorite of, some of your favorite movies that you want us to check out, or you want other people to check out? Uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com uh, forward slash movies you should love. Um, on Twitter, movies you should. Find us at our website at moviesyoushouldlove.com. Let us know what you think about this particular episode. If you want to hear more of this kind of stuff, what are your questions? Throw them your way. We, you know, we really do enjoy this. And this was honestly one of those kind of episodes that we probably would have stumbled upon at some point. But the fact that Jeff uh, sent us that email gave us an excuse to (laughs) kind of dig through our international movie collection and record this podcast. Yeah. So thank you, Jeff, and thank you guys for listening. Good luck with your uh, international film endeavors. I hope this really sparks something for you. You can find some really cool stuff if you've never done it before. And if you have, let us know what you've seen that you've loved that we haven't been. Absolutely. Uh, we will see you next time, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 